Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 67. Speak and Destroy is a podcast featuring interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Johnny Christ, bassist of Avenged Sevenfold. This was a fantastic and fun conversation, as I knew it would be. Johnny's bandmate, M. Shadows, was gracious and rad enough to accept my invitation to be the first ever guest on Speaking Destroy way back on episode one. Since then, I've absolutely been planning on having the rest of the band on at some point, and now I've been able to start putting those puzzle pieces together to make that a reality. In addition to his role as a longtime bassist for one of the biggest and most important hard rock and metal bands of the last 15, 20 years, Johnny is also the host of a podcast called Drinks with Johnny. Listen, if you've listened to this podcast or any other podcast, you already know what I'm going to say, which is the best way to support us is to go into Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform of choice and leave a five-star rating and write a nice little review. I mean it. Those really help. You can also visit speakingdestroyed.com for more detailed info about all of our guests. You can also support the podcast on Patreon, which means you get bonus episodes from my interview archives, interviews with folks like Glenn Danzig, members of Lamb of God, and even Kirk Hammett from Metallica, who I've had the pleasure of talking to a handful of times. You can follow Speaking Destroy on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Check out some of the other podcasts in the network like Pop Curse, Musicians Talking Movies, and No Prize from God, featuring conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. So here it is, my conversation with Johnny Christ of Avenged Sevenfold. This is Speak and Destroy. <laughs> I wouldn't say I came from a music musical household, except for we listened to a lot. My dad had an old, beat-up uh, acoustic nylon guitar in the corner that just collected dust for a lot of years. But we'd listen to a lot of music, a lot of road trips. Um, I remember if I was in my father's car and we were driving around, it would be ACDC, Metallica, Guns N' Roses. And uh, if I was in the car with my mom, it would be Michael Jackson, uh, the Bengals, uh, more of the, you know, top 40 radio, yeah. right? Um, so I kind of had both of those, and I liked both of those. You know, growing up, I was really into music. I, I loved Michael Jackson as a kid. I used to dance in the corner of my mom's and you end, And you ended up in a band that's teacher. both heavy and melodic, so <laughs> it's already yeah. making sense. I mean, it kind of it worked yeah. out, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I definitely had both um, both styles growing up with, which started a very eclectic thing. And then um, I think I was probably around 12 years old. 10 or 12 years old, uh, one of my buddies want, had a drum kit that he pulled out of his dad's attic, and he was like, hey, I'm going to start a band. Um, you should play keyboards originally. And I was like, cool, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll start to learn that. And then we started listening to different music. We started listening to more punk. Um, we were listening to bands like No Effects, Bad Religion, uh, Rancid, of course. Matt Freeman was a huge influence for me. And uh, yeah, I started listening to some of that music, and I was like, I'm going to play bass. And uh, heard Les Claypool, uh, Tales from a Tiny Punch Bowl, mm. and it blew me away that that was bass guitar. Right. And then um, I'd always heard the bass solo from Cliff Burton, Anastasia, mm-hmm. on Kill 'Em All. Grew up listening to that, not realizing it was a bass for so yeah. many years. And then going back, you know, because before, before about 10 or 12 years old, I just listened to music and enjoyed it, moved to it, did that kind of thing. But I didn't really study it as much. And then, you know, around that time, I started to study music, and that's. Uh, that was one of the things that came up. The, as I said, the, the Cliff Burton Basso Anastasia, uh, known as Big Brown Beaver from, uh, Primus, from yeah. Les Claypool. 
yeah. Uh, uh, Rancid uh, and Out Come the Wolves was just popping up. And I just heard, you know, Maxwell Murder, the bass solo that happens at the very beginning of that, of that fucking album. So it was, it was just like that, that transition just kind of happened around 10, 12 years old. And I asked for my first Epiphone bass um, for Christmas, something like that. Christmas or birthday, I can't remember which. Uh, they're pretty close to each other. November eighteenth, and then Christmas. Oh yeah, 20, my, my, so. I'm I'm, uh, I'm November seventh. Yeah. So, oh nice. Is that, does that make you a Scorpio as well? All, yeah, all, right. all we'll children. Along, all yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know that means that our parents fucked uh, for uh, Valentine's uh, Day. Valentine's yep. Day, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. The math. <laughs> it was around that time they went. They had a night, and uh, that's that's how we came about. Which um, <laughs> explains a lot about the Scorpio way of life. <laughs> totally man so i mean that's the long and short of it i mean i guess i guess i just always had an affinity of listening to music and then you know as i said my buddy wanted to start a band i've had to choose choose an instrument and i gravitated towards the bass and uh haven't looked back since really yeah and you know what one thing that i always find fascinating about avenged is that certainly from the outside it's easy to associate you know you can see the Guns N' Roses and the Metallica and maybe even some of the Pink Floyd, but also that, you know, the vast majority of you guys, you were also like Orange County pop punk kids, you know, like you, you were into no effects and the Vandals and Bad Religion and all those kind of bands to where, you know, years later when Brooks ends up in the band and the guy was one of those fans that was like, oh, no, that makes sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it's just like <laughs> You were one of the few. You were one <laughs> of the few. A lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people didn't know because, I mean, uh, in, a lot of people know him from Bad Religion, but not all of his yeah. other work as well. Suicidal. Brooks has been since 15 yeah. years old. Yeah, he's been suicidal, uh, infectious grooves. Literally since he was 15 years old, he's been a professional touring and uh, um, in-studio yeah. drummer. And obviously has all the chops in the world, can play anything, is a fantastic drummer. Um, and, uh, you know, he was he was playing in a punk band that required, you know, a punk right. beat and like some, and he, and he did it wet very well, you know, and he still can do it very well. And it worked perfect for bad religion. But then he also had his drum solos and stuff that a lot of people don't go back and watch, but if they did, they'd see him doing ripping drum solos with tenacious D when he was playing live with those guys. And you'd see, you know, a little bit of what he can do. And then yeah. you go back and listen to everything. He literally can do it. I mean, it's like, it's like Josh Freese. I mean, Josh Freese also started, you know, in the totally. battles and it's like, but he's, you know, and it's funny they both they both switch off on yeah. the vandals sometimes. Like if if Josh is 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 off doing something else, Brooks will yeah. fill in and vice versa. And you know those those two are really good friends. They grew up together, and it, it's just funny because they are very much the they same are person. Very, I've had the pleasure of of meeting and talking to Josh several times now, and uh, I actually had him on my podcast as well. So and you're was, like, am uh, I talking to Brooks right fun. now? Yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah. it felt a little bit like that yeah. well uh, joe escalante is my brother-in-law so an uncle to my kids and um so you know i obviously know joe super well and i've met uh both josh and brooks through him over the years and yeah it's always like how are these two dudes not confused with each other all the time <laughs> discographies so you know joe is your yeah. brother-in-law you said yeah so that's my, incredible. my kid's mom I, I is uh her sister sandra who's married to joe and we live okay yeah i'm in i'm in los alamitos there in seal beach so we're you know we're close by and we see each other all the time and yeah so yeah i i i talked to joe i had him on the show as well it's funny i just like have all my friends on my show um and uh yeah we talked we drank way too much wine and and uh, i had to get him an uber (laughs) home but we we've been meaning since and this was like last this is almost a year ago now and each time we're like, hey, we need to go surfing. We kept talking about how we need to go surfing. We still haven't gone surfing Amazing. together at this point. Yeah, and, and it's funny you said it's a year ago because, yeah, 2020, I keep saying, feels like it's been about 10 years long. So I'm like, no shit. <laughs> what, what? Uh, yeah, small world, man. It's a small world and this thing of ours, as they say in The Sopranos. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I saw Brooks, my old hardcore band in the 90s, played a show in St. Louis opening for Suicidal Tendencies when he was in the band. And I right on. had to have been the only person on that tour to have approached him and asked about Bad for Good. <laughs> you asked him about yeah, Bad for I, Good. That's right. I worked in a record store when I was a teenager, and it was right around the time that Bad for Good record came out. And I knew of them as like, you know, they were these like prodigies that, you know, that was like kind of the gimmick, right? Is they were like teenagers that all shredded. And um, yeah. yeah, I remember putting up a Bad for Good display and having like the posters and um 
and just you know never really took off or whatever but but yeah he's he's been around <laughs> you're like you're like you're not that old yet, but you've man. been around and that's that's usually how that happens did you but you are familiar with the cover of the bad for good album yes. right the or the i'm sure it's it's the back yeah, actually the, where they're all shirtless and they it's and very they, disturbing whatever photographer yeah. it's don't let don't let QAnon get a hold of that because of <laughs> no <laughs> no their heads i gave explode, i like gave scanners when when we found i didn't know about bad for good until brooks joined the band and we were chatting and we're talking Amazing. about stuff again had him on the show too. <laughs> might, might as well just throw that out there. We had every, I've had everybody yeah. on the fucking show that I know. Uh, but yeah, so we talked about that. It was so amazing. I even spliced in on the video, <laughs> like that back cover and just gave him so much shit for that. He's had like some weird, he's had some really weird uh, sessions too. Where he had like some guy just like kept asking him if he wanted a banana while he was like tracking. It was really weird. Oof. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and what, and which was it? And I always get confused. Was it Steve Vai or Joe Satriani that was like the Svengali of that band? Uh, I believe it was Vai. Yeah, I remember it was, it was one of the guitar Steve shredders was like, had his name attached to it somehow, which was the only reason I even knew about it back then when it came out. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, very disturbing that photo. And then there's some other photos. There's some like magazine pinup kind of stuff that I think were it's also <laughs> shirtless 14 year olds. I didn't see those. I got, I got to ask him if he still has those up on his wall. So. <laughs> <laughs> please do tell him if, I he, if he doesn't if he doesn't i'm going to find one and get it for him and make sure that it goes up somewhere in his oh, house brilliant. um so man we got we got way off the beaten path there but uh you mentioned you mentioned cliff uh be, being an inspiration yeah. and you know what through the trajectory with a7x uh you know there were the metallica and guns and roses comparisons i always saw them as you know, Metallica, if you reverse engineer it, it's Motorhead and Diamond Head, you know, and, and if you, mm. I, I mean, there's so many, you know, I, I was interviewing uh, Billy from him once upon a time, and I remember him telling me in conversation, he's like, dude, my band is just Black Sabbath, Typo Negative, and a little bit of U2, uh, you know, and, and uh, it's Chris great, Martin yeah. has said Coldplay is, is U2 plus Radiohead. You know, I don't think there's any shame in that. I think what it's about is yeah. taking those influences and then you shape it through the prism of the chemistry of those four or five people and then your unique life experiences and then your other influences that come in and that's how you end up with something new and so for me as Avenged was coming up and especially i mean you guys you guys broke through right at the very end of trl uh that, that was yeah. like exciting because it was like it has these elements that i'm familiar with that i recognize but it's being done by newer younger fresher people with a new kind of voice you know so there's not really a question buried in there. That's just my take on <laughs> the trajectory. Of well, thank you. No, I mean, you're, I mean, all, all of what you just said is, uh, I feel the same way. Um, I appreciate that. And, and I thank you for, for saying that, but yeah, we've always, we've always worn our influences on our sleeves. Yeah. The, the main two that a lot of people go to is Guns N' Roses, Metallica, but you know, there's still a lot of Pantera mm -hmm. in there. You know, there's a lot of, as we spoke before the orange County punk rock that we throw Absolutely. in there. I mean, we've done we've done a bunch of stuff. We do like Oingo Boingo style stuff. We do a country yeah. song. Uh, I never thought about that really. Yeah, uh, there is definitely some Oingo Boingo and Tim 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 Burton. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm a Danny Danny Elfman Elfman style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just talking about him too because I was just talking about Futurama. Um, yeah, it, it, that that's very true. But you know, as it lines up with metallica obviously at some point and i you know matt was as you know the first guest on speaking destroy ever which is, was like three years ago which is that's crazy. rad yeah i saw that i didn't i, I didn't see anything about that you I, sent me the email of everybody and i was like oh shit yeah cool. it was so great and and it was so it was great of him too cool. because honestly it really helped launch the podcast with some credibility by having him on it right out of the gate you know yeah. pilot episode so to speak and uh yeah i just kind of on a whim hit him up about doing it and he was like yeah come out to the house and can't and we like we were in his little studio trying to figure i hadn't even i hadn't done a podcast before um so it was really really <laughs> kind of him and really great that he did that and it's it still you know continues oh you went so you you went yeah. to his house and, and and did it did you do video as well just, or audio. just audio yeah um okay. but uh yeah it's just great he's actually a stone's throw from oh, really? too. like uh I, I could walk to his house and oh rad minutes. okay yeah yeah, it was probably about three years ago. Stum I, I should say stumble to 
to and from his house in 15 minutes. Because <laughs> I have done it. <laughs> Amazing. Just don't fall in a swimming pool when, when fumbling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was so great because it really, it really set the tone and it really allows me as I went out and recruited other guests and friends and stuff to be able to say, well, you know, this guy did it. Um, kind of, yeah. kind of elevates it a little bit. And I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, uh, play my A7X chips in too fast succession. So three years later, having somebody else from your band on. <laughs> three years later. That's perfect. I mean, that, that, that sounds like a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, as, as he and I were, were talking, you know, he told me a little bit about you guys meeting Metallica for the first time and, and James and Lars coming out to a show and, and coming on the bus and that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I would love to hear that story from your perspective and you know, what you, when you've, first became aware that they were aware of you how did that go down yeah man uh the first time that we knew they were aware of who the fuck we were we were on the 20 cycle for waking the fallen i want to say it was 2004 um and we were playing the Fillmore uh in san francisco and i remember hearing that they were going to come to the show so uh, we got wind um see uh our a and r agent at the time andy oliphant over at warner uh, his brother, Matt Oliphant, was working for Metallica doing art and assistant huh. work. Um, and I believe that's how they got wind. See, and that's I'm already a part of the story I didn't get the band. Before. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind, of, that's kind of where the connection kind of happened, I believe. Also, I mean, we were starting to get some buzz. We, w- this was coming off of Warp mm-hmm. Tour. Um, and we had just been signed to Warner. So there was starting to get some, some real buzz behind the band. So I think a combination of those two things was what got them to come out. And uh, I remember just warming up in the dressing room, knowing that they were going to be out there somewhere at some point. And I was like, this is fucking cool. And then we got a, a knock on the door and in came uh, Robert and, uh, and James, if I remember correctly, or it might've been Kirk. I, so, I mean, this is 16 sure. years ago now. Uh, forgive me for not getting all the details right. Uh, but yeah, they came in and I remember warming up and, you know, uh, I, I had a Stingray music man at the time that I was playing. And uh, I remember Robert walking over and looking at it. And goes like, "Oh, you play the sting. It's a good bass, man." And I was like, I "Was like, yeah, I really like it." And I, you know, I was all of nineteen, twenty years old at the time, and uh, obviously a huge fan of Robert's work. And uh, and I was just like, oh, "I can't believe he just talked to me." And he walks out the door, and then I just started playing as fast as hard as I can during my warm up. I don't know why. I just like I was super jazzed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you know, we left, and uh, Matt, I believe, was warming up on the bus. And James came and knocked on the on the bus door <laughs> and came in and started talking to him about his warm ups and everything like that. So it was, they were very right off the bat. I mean, now we can call each other friends, um, but at that first meeting, right off the bat, you kind of got the genuine vibe from this yeah. band and like how cool and down to earth they still are after you know the immense success that they've had over the years. And uh, you know they could speak to you on such a such a normal level and relate to you. you know, they came right in, was relating right to us this little band playing the Fillmore, um, you know, one of our biggest shows at the time, you know, of, of our own headlining. Yeah. So it was, it was really cool. That was, that was the very first experience that we had meeting them. And then I remember looking out in the balcony again, if you've been to the Fillmore, mm-hmm. anyone listening or seen it, it's not very far. So you can definitely see where, <laughs> where the whole band was. It was, there was James Kirk, uh, uh, Lars and Robert all just sitting up there front and center in the balcony watching us, you know, play songs from waking the fallen and sounding the seventh trumpet it was it was it was insane it was i i was super excited and i thought that was going to be the last time we ever saw them and right lo and behold they offer us some some shows that turn into some tours that turn into uh you know us uh, main support for their stadium for their first ever u.s stadium mm-hmm. tour and uh yeah and as i said now we can call them friends you know i got robert's phone number and text him every once in a while it was just his birthday the other day so he's doing good so yeah, it's, it's it's awesome. Yeah, I, it's it had to be surreal, like you said, that moment looking up and and seeing those guys in the balcony and and uh, just that moment of, uh, you know, it, I'm sure there were a lot of of increasingly unfolding new peaks for the band that you're going through at that time. I would imagine it's a bit of a whirlwind too to try to look back and think about people that you were meeting, oh, man. places you were seeing for the first time, was- and all of that. Yeah, as I said, it's hard to get the details on everything very perfectly. And some of the stories, especially when it, it when you are overwhelmed with emotion at the time. But I mean, some but then other things that were going on around it, I remember so crystal clear. 
like the first time uh, Wake in the Fallen, we had sold 100,000 mm-hmm. copies. We were on the road and we were like, we're going to celebrate somehow. We just sold 100,000 copies of this album. Um, let's celebrate. And we rented a limo and just drove around and, and like got some champagne and just drank in the limo. We didn't even go to a club or anything. We just drove around. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. We were like, we got to do something. And we're out on the road. And we didn't have a lot of, I mean, we didn't have much money. So we had to pull together and get that done. And it was, uh, it was, I remember we were just laughing and listening to music and drinking champagne and, you know, couldn't believe that we had sold a hundred thousand copies of, of our music. It was, it was a yeah. really cool moment. Oh man. And it's so, it's so funny to, to, to look back in hindsight with the, the context of, you know, knowing that you would eventually have platinum records and, you know, the time a hundred thousand yeah. was just seemed so out of, outside of the realm of possibility, like just incredible to even reach that milestone. Yeah, it really was like we had a, uh, didn't expect it, you know. I mean, you watch the numbers and you expect it by math numbers, but when it happened, we were just like, "This actually happened." You know, we were waiting and waiting and seeing the numbers every yeah. week, and then it finally happened. We're like, "Fuck yeah!" Watching the, <laughs> watching the clock turn, little number. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, do you remember what your first exposure was to Metallica? I mean, you know, I mentioned Anesthesia. Do you remember? And, and you you heard them? You know, your dad was playing stuff like that, um, heavier stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time that you saw them on MTV or, or went to see them live or anything? My first recollection of seeing them on MTV, and it's funny that you brought that up, um, was the one video. Mm-hmm. I remember at a very young age, I mean, I believe that was 89 uh, when, that, when that came out, so I was uh, five oh, years wow. old. Um, so I, re- I remember seeing that music video, um, and it stuck with me, um, you know, the Johnny Got His Gun mm-hmm. uh, clips that they put in there it was masterful song everything i was already a metallica fan at that point though as i said my dad was listening to kill them all uh master puppets and ride the lightning in his astro van we were driving around the astro van all the time and we were cranking metallica um so i can't t- it would have been somewhere in the astro van it would have been something that the first time i i heard metallica and knew who metallica was but first video was one and then my first concert of all uh, of I've ever been to was oh, a Metallica wow. concert when I was a, when I was 11 years old they played the the Great Western Forum mm-hmm. here um as it was called at the time I don't know if it's still called that and uh I think they just called I think it it's just the forum now, now but the whole, we'll go we'll go old school yeah yeah <laughs> so it it was actually on the load tour um after they came back after their uh their break for 6 mm-hmm. years after the black album they came back with the load tour and that was the first show that they uh were played in LA and uh I was Fortunate enough to go to go to that one. It was my first one. Corn was main support. I didn't know who Corn was at yeah. the time. I just saw them. I was like, "Who is this?" And then I, I ended up loving Corn too. <laughs> it was a, it was a great night. Indeed. And you know what? What's crazy? I, I just was having this conversation with somebody the other day. You know, thinking about Load in terms of quote unquote new Metallica. That record is more mm-hmm. than twenty years old now. You know, like that yeah. was. <laughs> well, it was amazing. It was. It, I mean, when you think about it, though, too. Like at the time everyone was in an uproar because they cut their hair. Like this was a crazy thing to do at, at the time. Like 20 years ago, I was like, you don't cut your hair, man. That's crazy. You're not metal yeah. if you cut your hair. And it's like, what? What does that even mean? But uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Uh, and yeah, it was the, I remember at that concert, looking back at it, I feel bad for the guys in, in certain respects. I'm sure they're fine, but there's like sign, like a big ass sign says, don't play any new shit, wow. you know, or something along yeah. those lines. And I'm just, I was a fan of Load. I mean, that's what that's what I was there for. Uh, Until it sleeps is still a, an amazing song in itself to me. And it's a great, um, ba- great bass song other... too. There's a lot of cool bass stuff going on in that song. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah. That was a, that's a great song, and you know, there's you know, in comparison to some of their earlier stuff, I guess it's it's different. It's uh, but you know, they're still playing songs now today on their concerts from that record. <laughs> and people are loving it. Yeah. So maybe it just took them a second to get. And the, it, re- the, it really the changes the dynamic of their, or, or, or rather it adds dynamics to their live set now, you know, when they go from mm-hmm. fight fire with fire into fuel, you know, like really mm. does something for the show. Fuel still slams yeah. live every time. And it was like, like every time it comes in, everyone's just like, even if you were one of those haters at the time when that album, I think that wasn't Reload, fuel on yeah. reload though, or was it on? Yeah. And even if you were a hater at that time when that when that album came out, you're still probably at the concert now, twenty years later, and you're and when fuel comes on, you're like, okay, nod your head, I, I get yeah, it now. <laughs> you're giving it a head nod for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, when bands make those creative decisions in the moment that are not received as well or take a while to kick in, I look at that more as as the great bands that build a catalog where you can look back on all of the records in their totality and see the different places that they went as opposed to just, I mean, look, there's something to be said for ACDC doing more or less the same record over and over. That's one of the things we love about them, but that's lightning in a bottle. I think for the most part, really great bands, whether it's Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, uh, Guns N' Roses, even, which is, it's crazy to think about how few records Guns N' Roses actually has, you know? Isn't that, isn't that, that is always still mind boggling to me when I think about it. Cause I'm just like, they're so iconic and you would think there would just be this discography of so many albums. And I mean, with the exception of the, the couple of cover albums, you really only have three albums and the set. And you think of use your illusion (laughs) one and two as one album. Yeah. And it's really only two records. Yeah. And, and, uh, well, yeah, I'm sorry. I forget about Chinese democracy. Not that I, I, I actually love Chinese democracy as an album, but I always forget about that one because it's not. It, the, it's, it's far removed, not just in terms of lineup, stuff. but just in terms of, of uh, timeline. Yeah, it, yeah I remember absolutely. When they, when they reunited with the classic lineup, and you know, I, I went to go see a couple of those shows. Actually, the second time I saw um, a mutual friend of ours, James Hart, him and I went to that show in San Diego. Uh, yeah. And they do like, you know, a two and a half, three hour set. And there are so many covers and you realize, oh, that's, yeah, <laughs> there's just not enough material to play that long. Yeah. I mean, unless they start playing their albums in, in their entirety, yeah. you know, like, yeah. they do usual illusions one and two. Yeah. You know, it's an entirety. Which is crazy. <laughs> no, that's a great point. We, we did uh, concerts with them um, in Europe. Uh, we did some Guns N' Roses stuff. Um, Axel, it was the different, it was uh, Bumblefoot was playing lead. And I think Brain was playing drums. It was a different lineup, obviously. This was in 2005 or something mm-hmm. like that, six. And uh, yeah, Axel was super nice to us. I mean, when we, when we saw him, you know, he was still coming down stage a little late and stuff like that, doing his Axel thing. Which you but, want uh, him to do. You, you know, want that to be part of that. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But, you know, at the end of the tour, we were in fucking Sweden somewhere. Yeah, we were in Sweden somewhere. It was the last show, and we all went to, you you know, the Guns N' Roses guys invited us out to an after party. We went and hung out, and, you know, Axel shows up, and he's, like, he's thanking us for being on the tour and had, you know, really nice things to say, and we were like, this is fucking awesome. This is Axel Rose. This is fucking great. It was another moment, similar to meeting Metallica and doing shows with them, you know, and uh, great, great, great band, obviously. Huge That's one thing I I really appreciate about Matt is that, you know, obviously Appetite gets its do as one of the greatest mm-hmm. albums of all time and it's you know diamond plus and you know all the accolades are are well deserved but one of the things i really appreciate about matt is that like myself he really loves the use your illusion records uh, yeah same here use your illusions too the blue one for me is is the best uh metal uh sorry guns and Roses. i'm thinking yeah. metallica right. guns and Roses. We're doing the uh, other podcast uh, now <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, to me, uh, "Use Your Illusions" too is is my favorite, but it's it's by such a small margin yeah. of difference between "Use Your Illusions" one and "Appetite." Those are two. I mean, those three records are like they're all right here. There's just like varying degrees for me, <laughs> <laughs> like which one I like more. And I always go back to to uh, "Use Your Illusions" too. I just something about the the songs on that on that record and the way that they were you know, the tone of how they came across. It's, it makes so much sense that they went with blue mm-hmm. for Use Your Illusions mm-hmm. too. It just, it feels blue. Like a lot of times music can make you feel or see a color, yeah. I guess, in a way. You don't feel. What is it? Like uh, uh, synesthesia? Is that the, the word? There's like a phrase for that for. The way oh, is there? Yeah. I, I feel or, or sound. Yeah. I, I, I actually, this yeah. is, you know, I think you're a horror movie guy also. Um, yes. So apparently the reason why prior to Freddy Krueger, you don't see sweaters that are red and green is there's something about those two colors, those two shades of those two colors stacked up in that way triggers something psychologically in terms of fear. And uh, these, there was like a whole um, science behind choosing, choosing really? that wardrobe for Freddy Krueger. And it's like, 
Uh, it, so- it sounds like Wes Craven fucking getting really into it and figuring something out. Cool. I yeah, like it. And it also explains <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to look for red and green sweaters and couldn't find it. <laughs> <laughs> there <Okay>. you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things I love about the illusion records that I think is very analogous to a seven X is how much depth there is to those records. You know, I mean, there's, yeah. they're layered and they're nuanced and they, they really go places emotionally and and you know the songs really take you on a journey you know and there's so much not to the point where it sounds like different bands necessarily but that they really explore the outer reaches of what's possible within that framework and i think that's something that your band has done uh for a long time now especially and 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 in thinking about bands in terms of creating dense and diverse catalogs i think avenged is absolutely one of those bands, especially in the hard rock and metal space. And a record like The Stage is so demonstrative of that, right? Because coming off the back of, you know, Hail to the King is like a really traditional, straightforward, kind of your black album. Like, a, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do everything that's great about the hard rock genre on a record and see what happens. <laughs> and then to then go into Amazing. like an experimental concept, super proggy, uh record that has like you know spanish flavors and all this stuff happening like that those 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 are the bands that i really love sorry my dog is barking that's when you can uh ethel hey (laughs) this i i know how this is i get i get all sorts of background music this is the the zoom life that we're living right now yeah totally i know it happens even before even when i had people over so obviously now under the pandemic, I'm on the Drinks with Johnny podcast. I've been doing them yeah. Zoom as well, uh, but I used to have them in person. But I do it right here in my in my bonus room, my my bar and bonus room, my man cave, if you will. So and it's open to the rest of the house. So my son would come home from school and be screaming yeah. and shit. <laughs> my my son's been kicking a soccer ball in the living room for the last ten minutes. Trying not <laughs> to pause. He's uh, he's seven. He'll be eight. In, uh, oh wow, nice. Yeah, then my daughter's gonna be thirteen in December, which is super. Ooh, that's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Good luck yeah, with that. They're both they're both they're both here schooling <laughs> right now. Yep, homes homeschooling. Yeah, I, I right believe now. my son is is possibly doing PE right now. <laughs> okay. That's that's what yeah. PE is now, kicking soccer ball in the living room. All right, I like it. You gotta figure Dad's something podcasting? out. Right? Yeah. That's that's very that's a very twenty twenty moment. Hey Killian. Yeah. You gotta you gotta settle down. <laughs> being way too loud anyway i you are one of those bands that i think has that that you know dynamics and and depth and and different extremes within your catalog and i also think that you know i've often pointed to the usual illusion records as analogous to avenged and it hasn't escaped me you know being i think about 10 years older than you guys and metallica being about 10 years older than me it hasn't escaped me that you guys were coming of age in that load reload era, because I think that mm-hmm. there's a looseness and a fearlessness to what you do with Avenged that you're not afraid of critics. You're not afraid of, of confusing fans or challenging fans or making them catch up to what you're doing. And I, I feel like that's a lesson that comes from not only Metallica, but that specific early to mid nineties era of Metallica where they really just went for it Mm -hmm. without, you know, I feel like the lesson from them is to not compromise yourself and then you can conquer the world. You know, I think that's the lesson we all have taken from them, but I see that playing out in Avenged and I'm sure that the band sees that in you guys also. And it's probably why they've taken you on tour so many times. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would, I would say something like that. And just the fact that we, you know, as we've always said, where uh, our influences on our sleeves and Metallica is one of the main ones. And uh, you're absolutely right to point out that, you know, they've even subconsciously seen that, I think. I don't think we ever really like consciously set out and we're like, we're going to do what Metallica did because they didn't give a fuck and now we're not going to give a fuck. I don't think that that was necessarily the case, but subconsciously, I'm sure, you know, that seeped in a bit, you know, just and that comes that also came from the punk rock scene, too. You know, we started doing warp tours and stuff and we were like, this is you get to know everybody out there and everyone's everyone's helpful. And then and just the fact that we are such an eclectic band and for our musical taste that we never wanted to put out the same shit, you know, like we just 
for ourselves, we don't want to do that. Like we're constantly trying to do to outdo what we did before, you know, um, and whether or not we do is up to the fans opinions. Right. And that's what they that's what they argue about on everywhere. And that's fun. That's yeah. part of it. It's music. Right. Everyone's got an opinion and, you know, it's great. And we've got the greatest fans in the world. Um, it's not up for debate, in my, in my opinion, because uh, they have followed us through all yeah. that. I mean, like I said, we put out a fucking country record uh, song on a record. I mean, like it, that's, you know, if you think about it, like that's not what a, a, a hard rock or metal band would do, you know, like that's just, and not only that, we actually had it be one of the singles on that album and did a video mm-hmm. for it and the fans still fucking request it. You know, it's, 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 it's wild. Uh, our fan base is, seems to be as eclectic as we are, yeah. you know, and I think that's what's, that's what's so great about them. Um, and once you, and once you and establish yeah, that trust, I, the, the audience trusts you, you know, and every band yeah. goes through the thing where, the new album that people are upset about because it's not as good as the last one, that album inevitably becomes that album when the next one comes out. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. It's the same thing every time. Like the, the haters and the new generation of haters, they're all the yeah. same. They're because, always going to do they the love, same They shit. love the record <laughs> from before that the people at that time hated, you know? So it's like, it, yeah, no, exactly. So it, it, it comes as you just nailed it. It's once that record is, is done, the next one is is the new one to hate, and now they like the old yeah. one. And you know, it's 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 silly, but I guess it's endearing in a way too. Though I don't I I don't mind it at all. I think it it makes perfect sense because it shows that they were so into whatever record came before the new one or whatever or whatever time yeah. frame they're so into it that they no longer can listen to anything else. You know what I mean? Like that. This is where, I, this is where I live right yeah. here. This album is the best. It's never going to get better. And than a lot this. of it is, is then, time, place know, and circumstance out. when and where you encountered something. Yeah. I say that all the time because, you know, for example, for you to discover the band and to hear all of the old stuff very early, but for you to have your first live experience with them be in the mid nineties, you're just going to have a different relationship to what they were putting out then than somebody who, mm-hmm you know, was tape trading and had the No Life to Leather demo. And then they were like, oh, the songs sound different on Kill Em All. You know, like there's always going to be yeah. uh, people that have, that just relate to and experience art differently based on who they were when they found it. Yeah, totally. And I'm sure if I was 10 years older, I would have been one of those guys too. Right. <laughs> no, I, I can't help when I was born. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, and obviously you do your homework and you can study just like uh, everyone does of every generation if they're, if they're being open-minded yeah. enough. You know, and, and it gets into the cliche about how all the good bands are gone and, you know, there's nothing new that's good. And I like to think that I'm mature enough at this point to realize like, no, it's just the, there's newer stuff that isn't made for me, maybe, you know, or that I, I'm not designed yeah. to connect to, but that doesn't mean that it's of any less quality. I mean, as somebody who loves hip hop, I would say the golden age of hip hop was late eighties and early nineties. And the stuff that comes out now is garbage for the most part. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't, it just, it just doesn't right. speak to you. I right. mean, that's, that's music, right? It just doesn't speak to you for whatever reason. Again, right time, right place. Yeah. You know, if you're discovering hip hop for the first time, in the nineties, you're not going to expect that it's going to get any better. You know, that's <laughs> right. when you're discovering, yeah. it, you know, and then, and you know, it, and it may not, it's not that it's better. Again, it's music. Music is everyone always just wants to compare it like greatest of all time. Like as if it's like an athletic sport or something. It's, <laughs> right. No, it's, it's art. Yeah. Like there's yeah, not, you're not counting and measuring it and especially not counting and measuring it in terms of commercial success because no, you can't do that with films either. Like, Oh, well this transformers movie was the biggest. It's like, well, that doesn't mean it's, better than you know this film that yeah. won 12 and oscars like it there, you can't. yeah and that's the whole thing it's it's it, and that's art too when it comes to art there's no it's what speaks to you and what makes what gives you what gives you the goosebumps you know because there's a lot of people in this world and if you could even get one percent of them or half a percent of them to like the same thing that you that you're doing you're doing something right because yeah. that's a and lot of fucking connection people. <laughs> and, and communication. Yeah. And it's to me, what, I, what I've learned over the years is that what I respond to really is intention, right? Like if I get a sense that the art that this person is making, whether it's a comic book or a novel or, or an album, that they mean it. That's all I want from it. That's all yeah. I expect from it. That's all I can get to connect with it, that it's being done from a place of authenticity. It doesn't have to be something that I like. It doesn't have to be my experience. I, I don't. Even, I don't have to agree with it if it's like 
political or religious or wherever it's coming from, but just getting that sense from the creative side that like they mean it. This is this is what they have to say. Yeah. And and that that I think transcends the limitations of of genre and of uh, success. I would agree. You know. I totally agree. I mean, there's a lot of you know. I watch. Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan of Saturday Night Live, and I watch uh, every Saturday. And more often than not, I they have the guest. And I'm like, I don't know who Same. the fuck this yeah, is. It, hap- it happens more and more <laughs> the older we get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then some of them, I, I and I'll, I'll still watch every performance, and I'll and I've discovered like newer artists that Same. way because you know I, you know, as I'm older, you understand. You got two kids. I only got one, but you know, as you your time to discover new music becomes smaller and smaller, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that's my time to discover new music or, or word of mouth. Of course, that's always the age yeah. old one. Right. But uh, yeah, just, and uh, I think it was Saturday night live and then I'll still tune into the MTV uh, music awards every once in a while, just to see what's again. I don't know half of the artists that are on there anymore. It's, it's just comes with age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's no disrespect to them whatsoever. I actually find, New artists, as I said from that, like her was on this last weekend of Saturday yeah. Night Live. She's yeah. phenomenal. She's, I, I just discovered her about six months ago, but then, and then saw her on Saturday Night Live. So I did know her before I saw her on Saturday Night Live. But I mean, she, her songs are amazing. She's incredibly talented. You know, it's like, it's, uh, I'm, go, I, I'm going to listen to more of her catalog now. Yeah. Like that's, like, I, I absolutely love. And that shows, I like, I like R&B. I like blues. I like pop. I like everything. If it's good. And it speaks mm-hmm. to me. I fucking that, like that's, it. <laughs> you know, SNL still works that way for me too. It's so funny you brought that up because Ariana Grande was somebody that I had heard of, wasn't familiar with, hadn't heard any songs, probably never would have heard any songs. And then not mm-hmm. only was it her being on SNL, but she was in a sketch. They did this sketch where she, she was an intern at title and the title service went down. And so she had to, Oh yeah. Yeah. Every like, and I remember this and she did a yeah, fucking just seeing how job. insanely talented she was made me go like, Oh, I, this makes me want Bruno Mars did that skit too. They've done it a couple yeah. of times. They did it with Bruno yeah. Mars as well. And too. it makes you go like, oh, I, I should check out what this person's normally doing because this is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they do a really good Michael Jackson impression and Celine Dion impression. They're probably really good at what they exactly. do too. <laughs> exactly. Just when you or, but when you can just yeah, hear that like innate talent. But yeah, it's great how SNL still exists as a as a as a source for discovery and Honestly, even the Tonight mm. Show for stand-up comedians and for music, yeah, um, a lot of those late-night programs, those kind of traditional outlets, will still if they have the right person booking, you know, it'll it'll cut through. And then I think again, bringing Absolutely. it full circle to Metallica and to Avenged, I think Avenged follows in that Metallica model of bringing everything up with you, right? Like the big wave lifting all boats, the way that they do those cover songs, the bands that they choose to take on tour. And I think Avenged, you know, casting our minds back to that TRL moment, for example, you were a band that was Mm -hmm. bringing like a whole subculture with you. It wasn't just about like, okay, Avenged is breaking through. It was like Avenged is breaking through. And in your wake, you know, all this stuff kind of gets to Mm -hmm. come up behind you, uh, you know, that's representative of California and, uh, metalcore if you will and traditional metal and proggy stuff and all this different stuff that was part of the avenge stew and that's always exciting for me in cultural moments when an artist cracks through in one of those traditional places like a trl or a late night talk show or or snl and then this discovery comes you know all all behind it i mean it reminds me of seeing dr dre and snoop dogg on arsenio hall (laughs) back in the day yeah, all wow. the stuff that you discovered through one performance of one totally. song, and then you get exposed to all these other rappers and singers. And yeah, that's that, that's a that's a great reference right there. But I mean, yeah, you said it. I mean, it, I'd like to take as Avenge. I'd like to take all the credit for that, of course. But I don't. I don't think we can. the The honesty of that. Um, you know, looking back, it could seem that way, but it's not like we were planning on doing that. You know, um, very happy to do it. I mean, and we still. Uh, to this day, we still choose whoever comes out on the road with us, same as Metallica. Uh, we learned that a lot. A lot of that came from learning from them, too. Um, and uh, But the, the whole TRL thing happened because of our friends Billy and, and, and Joe of Good Charlotte. That's right, because they um, were like hosting uh, stuff for him. Yeah, so they, yeah, they were, you know, I think TRL 
I think a lot of people knew that it was coming to an end at some point. They didn't know exactly when, but and uh, before they did, they the the show, the show's producers asked some of the uh, the alumni, if you will, of TRL to bring up some some bands that they're really into. And the Good Charlotte guys reached out to us and brought us on one night uh, one night just to talk the first time I think, or we played it. We played a live thing mm-hmm. there actually, and then we talked and the Good Charlotte. Fans were obviously rabid at the time, you know, they were, you know, they had been fucking retired on TRL for all their music videos 10 times over, you know, with their, with their rabid fan base. And they took to us too. And, uh, I think we were one of the last bands, Absolutely. Uh, maybe not artists, but definitely one of the last bands that was retired on mm. TRL. And, uh, and that came from a, us being on there and doing the performance one time. And then backcountry got picked up and started being voted on and backcountry was, you know, still to this day, probably our most successful video. Oh yeah, I and I, I, I and, always uh, associate Backcountry with Sugar. We're going down, and you know, it was like in that summer on Warped and TRL Brain. It was like Fall Out Boy, and we were on we were on the tour with yeah. Fall Out Boy. That was happening, and and my chem at the yeah. time too. You know, that was all, like that. All three the whole, bands. And we, yeah, I, I remember. I, I was yeah. talking about this with we Matt don't... actually, and I remember him saying, "Yeah, I bet Kevin Lyman wishes." Uh, you know, he he was lucky that he negotiated all those guarantees. <laughs> before the tour started in TRL. No shit. Yeah. Well, that summer is when we all blew yeah. up too. It wasn't, you know, we had already been, you know, everything had already been right. going. You know, we were already going to do the work <laughs> right. for, those, for that amount of money. So they didn't have to renegotiate it. But no, I mean, those work tours are, yeah, you can't put a price on like what we got paid for. What we got paid for is the, is the education. I mean, honestly, I, I consider, I didn't go to college. So I consider the work tours my college years. That was, that was learning I was learning some real shit about touring yeah. life and uh, and camaraderie and everything. It was really cool. And the the, the Mike Chem guys being on that Warp tour, we'd already done a few Warp tours by then, and I think that was Mike Chem might have been their first one, at least the first one that we were on with them. And we'd already toured with them. We took them out before that record right. came out that with I'm Okay on yeah. it and everything. Way we, early. I remember we yeah. were on tour with them. Yeah, we were on tour with them, and we were in the backstage, and they were like, "Hey, this is our new album. We just got pressed. It's coming out next month." listen to it let, let us know what you think and we were like oh shit these guys are about to blow up <laughs> <laughs> and it was and then we were absolutely right and then you know they they went on to yeah the you know i was actually doing some digging around on polestar earlier this year and i was looking at the earliest a7x stuff that that they have in their database and i saw that that mm-hmm. pop up there were a bunch of like early early shows uh for mike hem that were with you guys and and it was those old hardcore style bills too where it's like 12 bands that you know mm-hmm. it's a 12 band lineup one day and then two towns over two days later it's you know, <laughs> yeah. three of the same bands and then four completely different ones like just shows that make no sense <laughs> in retrospect you know <laughs> um and yeah and those were proving grounds where you really you know some bands stood out regardless of they're not they yeah like well my chem always had a great stage presence too even before their success like they're they were very energetic very punk rock like the way that they that, that i mean gerard as a as a front man you know when you meet him he's so he seems timid almost and then he gets on stage and just turns into a completely different person and just just an animal and it, it, it was just so awesome to see and we're like okay that energy and this new record yeah, this this is gonna work out just fine for them. <laughs> Someday he'll have a TV show on Netflix. I foresee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's funny you bring that up because when when um, this was so long ago that he was still writing the Umbrella Academy stuff. Wow. I remember he was telling us about wow. his comics that he was writing at the time. He had, he hadn't sold them yet or anything like that. They they weren't even you know they weren't comics yet, let alone a TV show on Netflix. And he was telling telling me about the concept one time and. This was back in the day when we would share dressing rooms. Bands would actually there would be there's not so there's only so many rooms in the in the yeah. back. So if there's one big one, go take your corner and we'll go take our corner. You know, so we we'd be talking back there a lot. And yeah, I remember him. I remember at the time him, him describing the stories, and I was like, this guy is fucking crazy. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had I I'm not I didn't really understand. I and now obviously I, crazy I, like I wish a fox, I understood right? at the time. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck man, good good for him. I love that. Dude. So, uh, bringing us full circle to to land the plane, uh, can you think of any particular moments being on tour with Metallica that were special or, or revelatory in terms of your 
camaraderie with those guys or, you know, performance there's they so saw. Or, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot, but anyway. there's a lot. And I, I'll run through a few of few highlights for me. Um, first being one that I'm sure I'm sure Matt would have brought up too. Um, one of the first shows that we played with them in Europe um, was in it was in Germany. I'm trying to remember where um, and uh, Nurburg. No, somewhere. Sorry, I'll, I'll remember it after we're after <laughs> of course, yeah. recording. Um, <laughs> but we were, you know, we, it was, yeah, <laughs> it was, uh, we played, we played the show. No one cared about us until the very last song. And then they were like kind of nodding their head. Yeah, it was, it's hard to win over Metallica sure. fans. And then, uh, uh, and then later on that night, they asked us if we'd come on and sing a song with them, do the background chants. And we, I was on stage that night, like went over first nights after seeing them at the Fillmore. One of our first nights on tour with them, they're like, hey, come on up. We're going to do a Ramon song, and I uh, want you guys to do the backups. And uh, we went up there, and we did it, and it was incredible. And, like, it was, we, uh, and then we did it again when uh, Trivium was on the tour as well. It was us, Trivium, and uh, Metallica. And they had us come up for another, another song in Holland somewhere, and we had both bands up there. So all three bands from the, from the show are up there singing along, and uh, I'm over there with Kurt. You know, he's got like 10 whammy pedals out, you know, and, and, like, <laughs> and his microphone and, you know, they still, they still had a uh, stage monitors too, which was, which was wild to think about now. But uh, yeah, it was, that, those were some, that was from the first European tour we did with them. And then uh, this last tour, I saved this last, it's two, over two years yeah. ago now when we did the, the US. I, I saw that at the, uh, at the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Oh, you were there? Yeah, awesome. That was that was a fun show, man. And it, it was great to see. That was like our home yeah. show too, obviously yeah. being in LA. So we had a all of course all of our friends are like, Oh, you're playing with Metallica? Can we yeah. come out to that show? Yeah. yeah in fact in fact, uh, uh Brandon from Atreyu was a couple seats over from me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Brandon's a Brandon's a good family friend yeah. of ours too. Oh, from you know, we did, my first tour with Avenge actually was with Atreyu as a co headliner right. back in two thousand two. But uh, I digress. The, the, that that tour for me was really when we started to become actual friends with the guys in Metallica you know uh acquaintances before really really nice and very friendly and uh you know being on that tour and then like there was we went to a dinner in Toronto they invited us out to and it was just awesome you know i i probably had way too much to drink but had a blast you know just talking to you know, I was talking to James about the Raiders. <laughs> right. and we're both we're 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 both Raiders fans. We were talking about Derek Carr and what our expectations were for the next couple seasons and what was going to happen when Gruden took over. Um, it was great. And then you know, talking to Robert, you know, uh, having a couple glasses of wine with Robert and talking about surfing and uh, you know, growing up in Southern California on the beach yeah. and everything and skateboarding. It it was it was just awesome. Like getting to know those guys on a personal level and having commonalities and stuff to talk to them about rather than just mm-hmm. music. Um, Cause obviously you can go to music, but yeah, having some other commonalities and some really fun conversations with the guys that, that has to be a highlight for me for, you know, growing up Metallica in the Astro van first concert Metallica to now being able to call the guys in the band talking football. Friends. Yeah. Know, it's like it's talking <laughs> yeah. football, you know, it's, it's just, it's incredible. Real life relationship stuff. It's funny uh, to yeah. think when you're a kid, you know, fans kind of having these fantasies of like get together and they head bang, you know? And it's like, it's actually so much cooler when you realize that yeah. it's, it's relationships and, and humans, you know, just relating to each other as people and having this yeah. great gift of music in common that, you know, creates conversations like this one. But at the end of the day, like, yeah. you know, you and I talking about our kids being home during COVID is <laughs> just as relatable as well, talking about how much we love Metallica. Yeah, no, of course. And that's, you just nailed it. I mean, that's, that's really why I started doing my Drinks with Johnny show. You know, I, I realized that <laughs> there was a different perception of what goes on in a dressing room or when band guys hang yeah. out and everything like that. I was like, there is, of course, some of that debauchery and some of that just throwing your head against the wall kind of bullshit that happens, especially in your 20s. Um, but as you start to get a little older, it changes. And I realized there was a, uh, you know, there's this perception of what the conversations might be yeah. like. And I was like, well, why don't I just hit record on what these yeah. conversations really yeah. are like? <laughs> and then it started to expand into, you know, I've, I, I have people that aren't musicians, actors, mm-hmm. comedians. I've got some uh, athletes lined up for season three because uh, we're going to wrap season two here in a couple of weeks. Um, and then season three will come up. I got some athletes come up, artists, 
everybody, you name it, wrestlers, professional wrestlers. I grew up being a huge wrestling mm-hmm. fan. So going back and talking to some of these guys too, like, and understanding like anyone who has a certain amount of success you can talk to on yeah. that level. And like, you know, you start or, or, or touring, and you just go and, off on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny you said that because the origin story of, of this podcast and the couple of others that I do is, you know, similarly organic in that in doing a lot of interviews uh, or writing bios mm-hmm. for bands or in just conversations, I'm always bringing Metallica up in conversation. And often yeah. it's with people that share the same sort of love or have some kind of association or, and yeah. And then I was like, well, that's kind of, that feels like a podcast, you know, that's also the workaholic in me. That's like, I can't just be sitting around shooting the shit. It's got to have some kind of purpose and <laughs> meaning to it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the same thing happened. You know, I have another podcast that's musicians talking movies and it's, Having conversations with musicians all the time that always want to talk about movies and talking to, you know, when I used to be a reporter for MTV News and my my beat was movies. And so many times, even just walking in, having like a a shirt on or they see I have tattoos or whatever it is, actors and directors always want to talk to me about music. And just like, you know, seeing that. And again, that was kind of the thing where I was just like, oh, I should do a podcast. Musicians talking movies. (laughs) That's a great that's a great concept Um, right there. Well, you have to wait another three years exactly. and I'll go on that one too. <laughs> yeah, I just did, no, that's, I just that's did Robocop with, with uh, Blothar from Gwar. And we did it, we did it video. Nice. He's in like full costume. And he talked about. Oh, he's, I mean, that's I not mean, a costume. He, I mean, he's from the Plants Come Dog. Yeah, he, he came from Come Dog. Yeah. yeah. And he talked about seeing Robocop <laughs> in the theater tripping on LSD. <laughs> so it was, that's it was, rad. Yeah, it was, uh, I was like, okay, proof of concept. This is, this is working. Yeah, well, that's isn't that what that's what's great about podcasts. I didn't list, start listening to podcasts until like probably three months before I created my own. So I was like, I don't know what the fuck a podcast is. I hear about Joe Rogan yeah. and everything, like, you know, ten years prior. Like, and then you know, my buddy Chris Jericho's got his Talk mm-hmm. Is Jericho podcast. I was like, been on it a couple of times. And I was like, oh, this yeah, is yeah. He said he said yes to speak and destroy listening. three or four different times to just pinning him down to actually no pun intended <laughs> well you know well, <laughs> for the three count no you did yeah he's you know chris is <laughs> chris is all yeah. over the place he does so much he's got he's he's i don't understand how he can possibly do it all is the totally things insane. it is totally insane yeah i'm con- i'm convinced he's cloned himself and yeah and he could be in two places at one time because i don't understand I mean, he's got a, he's a family man. He's doing his yeah. wrestling. He's doing his Maybe music. He's doing his podcast. Hosts, he's shows. doing hosts, yeah. all sorts of stuff. I mean, he's just, that guy's always cruise. I think he did a cruise. Doing something. Yeah, he did a cruise. He's, I think he's planning on doing another one in January, as far as I know. Um, I don't know if they're going to have to push it because of the pandemic or not. I, I would imagine. I don't see it being done. Yeah, it seemed, January, yeah it seemed but, like cruises were the, uh, were the, <laughs> were the first thing to, <laughs> I mean, I guess, well, I mean, in theory, we could go into it, but I guess in theory, if it's kind of like its own bubble, right? Yeah. If you quarantine before going on there and after. Yeah, and maybe if it was the first thing where we started really hearing about the pandemic, maybe it would be the first thing to come back to some kind of normalcy. Yeah, I mean, well, they did a bubble for, for basketball. I know it's for, for yeah. you know, different reasons, but if you, can, if you can quarantine for a couple of weeks prior to going in and legitimately and like test everybody going on, be as safe as you could possibly yeah. do it. And right? You're just you you're it. only around people that you know don't have it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like you're going anywhere. You're on a fucking boat. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. My my introduction to podcast was more from the movie thing. There were some film podcast. I actually got asked to be a guest on one, and then that was this was a few years ago. But that's when I was like, uh, oh, I should start listening to some of these. And then I discovered Mark yeah. Maron, and. Oh, that's a fantastic Dude, podcast. one day I was having a conversation. This actually, this goes back a few years. Um, our old merch company. So I, I managed the band Demon Hunter and we were mm-hmm. leaving our merch company after a number of years. It wasn't bad blood or anything. It was just, um, you know, we were switching merch companies. And I was talking to the guy mm-hmm. who owned the merch company. It really seemed to have moved away from music, but I didn't really quite understand what he was doing. And so anyway, I'm talking to him on the phone. It was all cool and everything. But I said, uh, so you don't mind me asking, like, what are you, like, what's your bread and butter these days? Like, what are your, who are your bigger clients? And he goes, oh, our, our biggest client right now is this guy named Mark Maron. 
And I was like, wait, what? Mm. Like you do his merch? I was like, I listened to his podcast. And, I, and this was this was probably like 2013 or something. It was a good handful of years yeah. ago. And he said, dude, he's the only client that we have that we account to weekly. We send it, we send him a statement and a wow. check every week. And I was like, what does he sell? And he was like, coffee mugs with cats on them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a, that's a massive podcast. And he's yeah. Still and running to know it. that now, yeah. In hindsight and everything, and obviously Rogan and all that, but yeah, but that was my first real kind of, awesome. isn't it so funny though? Like now every, now there's like 7 billion podcasts out there now, but at the time, like when like these guys like Mark and, and Joe had the hindsight to see before, yeah. you know, what, what this could be, you know, and they, they, Hey, they paved the way. Yeah, guys you, like you that know, Mar- got started because he got fired from Air America radio. And then he was sneaking mm. into the studio when his passkey still worked at night and just ranting into the microphone with no idea of what happened. <laughs> I didn't realize yeah, that. that. Was, That's amazing. That was, the, uh, that was the origin of that podcast, which is a very punk rock origin story. And then a lot of those early interviews yeah. were him like settling scores with comedians he had beef with, <laughs> which, which made them sound <laughs> That's really brilliant. Intimate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that, and that's... That's the brilliance of podcasts. There are 7 billion of them out there, but each one, you know, some of the, some of the ones out there have a cool niche yeah. that, you, that you could find about. And that's what's, and there's something for everyone out there, you know? And, and how much cooler uh, is this cool for to, me having been a reporter for 20 years? You know, how much cooler is, is what we just did than us getting on the phone for 10 minutes? And I mean, tell me about I the know, you know, what was that's, it like working with this guy? You know? You know, and that's what makes it so much better. I, I totally agree. That's what I've I felt comfortable doing, you know, uh, being on podcast and making my own because I'd rather have that conversation. Yes. You know, I don't want to do the same same stupid questions over and over. And it's not it's not it's not a knock on, you know, journalists who had to who have have a job to do. And that's what their you know, what their paper, or their magazine wants to read about. And but it's it's not fun for either one of us. Yeah. Let's just, like, let's, yeah. There's got to be a way to and make I, this And fun. I like that this, <laughs> you know, one of the, the glass half fulls of the pandemic is that it's, it's forcing innovation. You know, innovation comes out yeah. of these, these frustrations. And I think the more people get used to these kinds of conversations, uh, I, I think a lot of the stuff that we've seen happen over the last year is going to persist even once we return to some kind of normalcy. I think we'll see. Yeah, there's there's going to be some things that we learned along the way that will continue yeah. and, you know, for the better, I, I believe. I mean, being able to do conversations like this and have people being interested yeah, in it is. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, though. I mean, that's what I would want to hear. I don't want to hear the same dribble from my from my heroes. I want to hear what they're really like. <laughs> exactly. You know, I don't want to. I know. I know what it's. I've been on the other side. You've been on that side for, for 20 years. I've been on the other side for 20 years. I know what that I know what that conversation really is both both people involved are not having a good time and they're just trying to fucking figure out how they're gonna put all that information into 10 to 20 yeah, minutes you know exactly <laughs> or, or or when they're asking you the first four or five questions that you know they're just getting through because they want to get to that fifth or sixth question that they know you don't want to answer yeah they're buttering you up for the one it's like <laughs> exactly now i'm gonna try and get that headline yeah. motherfucker all right i just asked dave mustaine seven questions about his new album now can i ask about metallica yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that's a that's a dance no one wants to be in. That's no, no, absolutely. That paradigm is is gone. I think because, and I think it's authenticity that is what people are responding to about podcast conversations and this whole format mm-hmm. because they know that there's a certain, you know, it's canned. There's a certain performance that's happening in those old traditional interview models. You know, you, you know. yeah, I, I could be completely honest and candid about it. I. I knew what I was going to say every time before because I knew what the questions right. were going to be. It was very, you, you become very like rare a political pundit. I, a I, right I do media training as one of my side hustles uh, with bands, and it's all about helping them figure out what their story is, coming up with talking points, and training them to control the conversation and to turn a bad interview into yeah. a good one, and have your without sounding like a robot, knowing what you as the artist want to get out of the interview because otherwise yeah. it's just, it's a drag. You know, yeah, it's like political pundits. Like, all right, I'm going to go on and, you know, go on yeah. MSNBC, go on Fox News, and get. I am the most proud of this record. <laughs> yeah. of any other record? Uh, you know what's crazy about this record? It's, it's different, the, and the heavy you know. parts are heavier than they've ever been. But the mold. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we really wanted the record to sound big, but at the same time, like that, 
that, you know, to sound live because we really we haven't captured what we do live until. Then. See, just just right there, you don't actually need to have a conversation yeah. with anyone. You already know <laughs> the answers. Just start typing it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm going to say if someone asks for like a 10 minute interview when we get back to uh, to touring life and stuff, and just be like, "You, what, what are your questions? You, you already know, know the answers." answers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, now that I'm on the other side of it, I I have I have even more appreciation for, for that other side. Yeah, well, actually went to school like and, and understand. I understand it a little bit better yeah. now, and I, I I will do my best to. Uh, never be as salty as I, as I have. Been well, and you probably understand also past. on the other side of, of, of those occasions, which thankfully have, I've been doing it long enough that they're incre- increasingly rare, but the occasions when you can tell that you've inadvertently steered the conversation in a ditch. And then you're like, yeah, how do I get, you know, this guy hates me right now. How do I turn <laughs> this around before it's over? You know, well, that's why, that's why I drink on, on my show. <laughs> I can always blame it on the booze. Great equalizer. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I've, I've, I've had you on. The yeah, of course, since, man. Thank uh, you. Since this thing started. And then honestly, when I saw that you started a podcast and that's when I was like, ah, that's, I'm going to hit him up now. <laughs> he's, he's in <laughs> now the Now's the time. <laughs> he's, uh, <got> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All worked out. So. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for having me. This was a, this was a really fun conversation. Awesome, man. Man. Yeah. Likewise. Don't be a stranger. And uh, yeah, I'll let you know when this goes up and, um, Someday we'll we'll do this in in real life. <laughs> that sounds great, man. In person, in person, I like it. Yeah, awesome, brother. Cheers, brother. Take care.